0: Well, what a joy to worship with the staff and the students and old friends and everything, just to be all back here together. I, I had kind of a, um, uh, I don't know if if you look at my face and you think to yourself, well, he's gotten a little chubbier in his face since we saw him last time. Uh, I actually was got stung by a bee on my face. Uh, I, I've taken up beekeeping as a little, uh, little hobby since I stepped down as president of the school. Uh, there are a lot of parallels between beekeeping and pastoring and being a president, as a matter of fact, (laughs) there are a lot there, because I was cracking open a a hive to, to give some medicine to the bees, you know, to give medicine to the bees, but they have certain bees that are assigned different tasks, and one of their bees was a, he's a, a, he's a guard bee, and he came up, and he, uh, got me right here, right, got me right on the face, um, it took a lot of commitment for him to do that. Because when a bee stings you, that's it. He's done. They go and die then at that point. So he protected the hive from me giving them medicine, sacrificing his life, you know. He 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 made a he made a big he made a big commitment. And that got me thinking about commitment, and so that's what I want to talk to you about today. I think this is a very significant time. Many of you in just a couple of weeks are going to be stepping out of here for the, maybe the final time. Um, uh, others are coming in and others are uh, moving forward, but I believe that there, I just felt the, the, word, the word drop into my heart uh, of commitment. So what does it mean to commit to something? When I commit to something, one thing I learned is there's no graceful way to turn back. When you commit to something, there's no easy way out of it. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, they used to have this thing that they would do where, where uh, during the lunch hour at school, you know, you'd be you'd be, be going into lunch hour and you'd go to sit in your chair. It would come. It would come in waves. Different times we have a high school and, but you'd go to sit in your chair and somebody would reach and pull the chair out from underneath you. Anybody over here or something like that happening? Right. And, uh, and, and, and so this was okay. You know, so you're going to sit into the chair. Now, if you knew it was that season and people were doing this kind of thing, you would go to sit into your chair with a little guard, you know, a little protection. You kind of would be, you kind of be You know, until you knew the chair was there, you know, you didn't, you know, you you protected yourself. But if you committed yourself to the chair, if you went and put your butt there, believing the chair was there, and the chair was not there, there is no coming back from that. You are going down. Right, just smashed in that kind of way, and that's one of the things about commitment. Uh, there is no graceful way to turn back when you commit to something. Another thing about commitment is there is no balance in commitment. You 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 can't be a little committed. You know, are you committed? Yeah, well, a little bit. You know, it doesn't it doesn't work that way. You can't be a little committed. You are either committed or you're not committed. It's not there's no no halfway point there. Another thing about committed is commitment makes you vulnerable. When you commit to something, you put yourself usually in a position where you could be hurt. Uh, you know, think of the football player that is going up for the pass, and he knows there are three or four people around him ready to smash him as soon as he touches that ball. And he he reaches reaches up, and, and sometimes you'll see them at that moment they'll they'll flinch, they'll take their eye off the ball, and they they end up missing the pass because of the fear that they're going to get hit at that moment. You know, they they become vulnerable when you commit. You become vulnerable. And another thing about commitment is commitment. Always cost me something. Commitment always cost me something. There's there's no commitment without a price tag that is involved in it. When I think of the tremendous commitment of the staff and faculty here at the school and just the way they've they have given themselves. Why don't we give a hand for the staff and faculty and all the people working? You know, they have put it, they have put it all on the line. Commitment always cost you something. So let's look and see a little biblical picture of commitment here, Luke chapter 14. Would you do that? If you take your Bible, Luke chapter 14, and uh, we'll start with verse uh, 25, Luke 14, starting with verse 25. He says this, Now great multitudes were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, so Jesus is, is out there, and, and a crowd is coming with him, and he says something that I think when you read it, if you're like me, you've got to say to yourself, somebody made a mistake. This should not even be in the Bible. This is what he says Jesus, now, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot. Be my disciple. Now that, I say to myself, that is a removable verse right there. Right? If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children, this is out of Jesus' mouth, and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple disciple. And of course, what he's saying to us is that every relationship in your life has got to come second to your commitment to your relationship with Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, there are many relationships that cannot work unless they are second. If you put them in first place, they they you can't do it. It has to be second below your commitment to Jesus Christ. I, I, I'll tell you one fo- uh, relationship like that is parenting, right? Um, you, you've had an experience like this, I know. So the parent is speaking to the, the child and says, uh, and The child says, well, I'm going to Billy's Friday night. Well, what's happening at Billy's? Oh, well, they're going to be a party. It's going to be, a, everybody's going to be there. Really? Tell me about the party. Who's there? Well, well, what do you mean who's there? All the kids are there. Everybody's there. Well, who, who are the adults that are there? Well, uh, Billy's parents are actually gone on a trip. There's, there isn't going to really be adults there. It's going to be like us doing a party. It's going to be awesome. It's I don't feel good about that. What do you mean you don't feel good about that? I don't feel good about you going to a party where there's no adults there. I just don't feel good about that. What, Dad? Everybody's gonna be there. If I don't go to that party, you might as well just, I might as well just die. Well, I'm sorry. I mean, I realize everybody's going to be there, but I'm not sure you're going to be there. I don't think you're going to be there because, because I don't I don't think this is what you, you... Dad, 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 I hate you! Bam, the door slams, right? Now, if I love my child more than I love God, at that moment, I buckle. I go to the door, honey daddy will work it out for you don't don't worry we'll make it somehow somehow it'll be over we'll we'll, we'll you you know i don't want you to be mad i don't want you to hate me you know, you know see you can't be a good parent unless you're able to look at your child in a moment like that and go well you can hate me honey but i always love you and i'm always here for you i care about you i'm with you see you follow me that's the only way it can work. You got, it. and so this is what Jesus is saying to us. He says, "Look, every and It's the same thing with husband and wife relationship. Every relation, if you allow that thing to become distorted, if you allow it to become twisted, if you allow your commitment to those relationships to be greater than your commitment to God, it just breaks down. Including you taking care of yourself. He says, "He says even your own life. you, you, you can't do that." And he goes on, verse 27. He says, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, when he's talking about carry his own cross, you know, when we think about cross, we think about things that are on the front of buildings and tops of buildings and, and pretty little girls have little crosses around their necks and, and things like this. This is what we think of when we think of cross. But at this time, the cross only had one meaning. The cross was an instrument of death. It would be like talking about an electric chair, right? You, you know, nobody wears little electric chairs around their neck. You know, But, but in essence, this was the means that criminals were put to death. And a person who had to carry their cross would be at a complete loss of all reputation. Anything of value would be wiped out. As a matter of fact, if you were on the, the last thing you would want, you know, the streets in, in Jerusalem, uh, the, the old city, are very narrow, like from here to the the front row right here. And, and, and you can imagine a, if I was standing against the wall there and, and a person was coming surrounded by Roman guards and they were carrying their cross on their way to be crucified. And that person came and they came to where I was, and they looked up and said, Hi, Mike. That would be an awkward moment. Right? Because that person is of no reputation. And they would be identifying with me in some way. It would be like, uh I don't. I think you, you mean the other Mike. I don't, you know what? Not me. See? Not me. And that's the. That's the, the way he says, whoever does not carry his own cross, whoever does not, it doesn't have that commitment, that willingness to lay down even their own reputation. And then he goes on, verse twenty. he says, twenty eight. For, for which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost, calculate, important word, to see if he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. So he's saying, first of all, he says, I want you to get a hold of something here. If you make a commitment, I don't want it to be an emotional commitment. He said, I want it to be a calculated commitment. You have to make sure that this commitment you're making is calculated. Why? Because if it's emotional, it gets pushed around by every wind of what's happening. He says, but, but, but this tower, he says, he says well, which one of you wants to build a tower doesn't first sit down and count the cost, calculate the cost. Some of you may have come to Elam, and uh, maybe it was an emotional commitment that you came here with, and now you're here at the school, and you're you're looking at it, and you're going, this wasn't really what I thought it was going to be, you know, and and you're recalculating, you know, we're we're hitting hitting the buttons again, recalculating to say, how can I get out of this commitment? How can I get out of this thing? He says, no, he says, before you make a commitment, you need to catch. And he he wants to emphasize it so much that he actually re-says the same principle again. Look at verse 31. He says, or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and take counsel, whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends the delegation and asks terms of peace. He says, look, you've got to count the cost. He says, Pitch, he says, it's like this. It's like you're in a battle, and there's only a few of you and a lot of them, and you've got to make a decision. Am I going to throw myself into this battle? It looks almost certain that I'm going to get decimated if I do. Am I going to throw myself into this battle, or instead, do I want to run and hide? He says, you've got to count the cost. Maybe you need to send for a delegation piece. He said, because, because there's something that you need to do that everyone who's in a battle, everyone who's in warfare, everyone needs to do. There's something that has to happen where you look at the odds against you and something comes into you. Like it came into David when he was getting ready to go up against Goliath. And something comes into him and he looks and he says, you come to me with a sword and a shield, but I came to you in the name of the Lord, our God. Something rises up inside of you. You Count the cost and you say, I don't care what they have. They may be bigger than me. They may be stronger than me. They may be this or that, but I am committed. I'm going to throw myself into it. I'm going to give it everything I've got. And then he goes on he says, so therefore, jesus all Jesus' words, so therefore no one of you can be by a disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Possessions have a gravity to them. All possessions, you know, there's a sense in which we own, but there can also be a sense in which the possession can own us. I remember one time years ago when my kids were little, I wanted to Get them a little swing set out in out in the backyard, you know, and and uh, so I went out and got this this uh, swing set and and bought it and put the whole thing took the weekend put the whole thing together this this whole thing and I was doing really good until I got to the last page of the instructions and when I got to the last page it said this it said it said now every week you need to lubricate this lubricate this lubricate this every month you need to retighten this 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 and this every it, it was like a uh, and i i looked at my wife i said i thought i bought a swing set i said i bought a life commitment right this is the th- this is the way possessions are but there's one thing that will have to happen you'll have to give possessions i remember when i came as the president of the school the school at that time was in crisis, a uh, very, very difficult situation we were in the midst of. I'd only been here a couple of months. I remember it was coming around to October, and the guy who was organizing all of our finances and everything for the school sat me down and said, look, I've gone through this thing. At the time, we were, it, we're not able to get loans from banks or do anything like that because of certain issues that had gone on. And, and, uh, and he said, he said, we're short. Sure. And he said, I don't know where the money's going to come from. We don't have any money to cover this. I remember I went home, I was already pretty discouraged, but that one really kind of nailed me down. I thought, man, what am I? I, you know, I've only been, I've only been in charge for, you know, four or five months and it's, it's already over with, you know what I mean? It's like, I'm, it's already running out. And, and I just felt the Lord said, are you committed? And I, I, yeah. And I went down to the bank. I took a second mortgage on my house. I brought in, I don't know, it was $35,000 or something like that. And. Loaned it to the school, and that was the money that carried us through those first few months before that. Now, after that, tremendous blessing flowed. Many things came back to us. They were able to totally pay me back. Everything was great. So we've been through battles, you know. We've been through battles before. But the thing that you've got to know is, are you committed? Often, you are the first answer to your prayer request. Right? You pray a prayer and you say, Well, how's God gonna save the school? What's he gonna do? And the truth is, you, I was the answer to the prayer I was praying. There was something I needed to do. And that's the way commitment is. We're often we're looking for, for for something else to come in and save the day. But the Lord is saying, Will you be committed? Will you commit to this thing? And if you commit. There's something there that gets released. As a matter of fact, at the end of this message, I'm going to share with you just a little quote that has helped me for years and years about commitment. And it's going to release tremendous power over us when I, when I share it with you. Well, then this passage, this whole passage has been pretty amazing. But this, this last couple of verses, for many years, commentators really struggled over these last couple of verses because they, they, um, they don't seem to make sense. This is what it says, verse 34. Therefore, salt is good. But if even salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. It's thrown out. He who has ears to hear, hear, let him hear. Now, the reason this was so confusing to everybody is that salt never becomes tasteless. You can take a you know, a container of salt, put it on the shelf, come back ten years later, what do you have? Salt. Still the same salt, just works just like the salt did before, tastes just like it's never like, well, you know, look at the salt oh, that's salt stale. Throw that out. That's no good anymore. That salt, it's not like that. So this was very confusing when you read it, because therefore salt is good, but if even the salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? And so the commentators, when they studied this, they were like, this doesn't make sense. Salt doesn't change its properties. It is what it is. It's a mineral. It It doesn't change in that kind of way. And then as they began to do more study about this time period, they realized what Jesus was talking about. Because what would happen is you would buy salt. It was very expensive. It could be used medicinally. It could be used as seasoning for food. It could be used as a preservative. Very expensive thing to get a hold of. So you would buy the salt, and then uh, the the merchant would buy it, and he would say to himself, you know, I could get a little more out of this if I just took maybe 10% of the salt and mixed in something else. Cut the salt. Put in something that looks like salt, but it's not really salt. And nobody's going to tell the difference when they're shaking it out. One out of every 10 grains is, is, is not. Nobody's going to tell. And, and, but yet, as I sell this by weight, I'll still be able to make a good profit out of it. And so that's what they did. They began to cut the salt. And then a person would buy the salt from them. They would come home, and they would say, well, I don't want my kids to be using this stuff all up every day, you know. So I'm going to cut the salt again. And every time the salt would change hands, it would be cut just a little bit. Cut, cut, cut. Until finally, the salt became what? Tasteless. Right? It it wasn't salt anymore. It looked like salt, but it wasn't salt. It had been cut so many times. You see, salt is a picture of commitment. Now, let me just say to you, your salvation is secure. That is, you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you've trusted in him, you've placed your faith in him, he has saved you. We're not talking about any fluctuation in that at all. That's very solid. But what is not secure is your commitment. Over time, people have to recommit themselves. They have to, the salt has to be repurified because as you go through life, every time you face a situation and you make a little compromise, you cut your salt. You cut your commitment. Just a little here, a little here, a little here, a little there. Jesus says, once that salt becomes tasteless, what's it good for? He says, you might as well throw it in the manure pile. It doesn't do anything. And so what has to happen, this isn't your salvation I'm talking about. I'm talking about your commitment what has to happen is you have to have a moment, a, a, a time of recommitting. There has to be a reconsecrating of your life. Now, if you think about this, you'll know that what I'm saying is true. So, so for how many of you believe that a five-year- old can give their life to Jesus? Okay, I believe that too. I believe a five-year- old can give their life to Jesus. But how many of you know? That the commitment that a five-year-old had when they gave their life to Jesus as a five-year-old, when they become a 10-year-old, might have to be redone again, right? And when that 10-year-old becomes a 15-year-old, are you with me? Maybe all at once there's got to be some fresh content. Why? Because with every new season comes new temptations, comes new opportunities, comes new possibilities. And so the commitment that I had before, the commitment that you had, uh, seniors, three years ago when you came here to Elam and you, 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 you began, that commitment that got you in the door doesn't mean it survived three years here. You could have made tons of tiny compromises over that time. And the fact is that right now you're coming down to graduation and you're thinking of it as a finishing of something, but I say to you, it's actually a beginning of something. Are you going to re-consecrate yourself for this next season? Are you going to give it all? Are you going to commit in the way God wants you to commit to go into this next thing that God wants you to do? I remember when... Years ago, as a matter of fact, I was living right down in the what's the library now, the back of it, where it's a dormitory, a girl's dorm, I think it is. Uh, the back there, I was, uh, I, I was, I had an apartment there. That's where I lived. My first son, Toby, when he was born, he was right there, my wife, Terry. And, and uh, at that time, it was 1984, I bought my first new car. Now, this was a big deal because uh, my, it was a little Nissan Central wagon, my, uh, nothing special my my uh but you know my mother never drove a car never 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 had a car our family never had a car this was like i bought not just a car not just an old wreck like i normally drive i bought my first and only really new car 1984 nissan descent and i really thought that car was something special i would come out here right out there in front of the library and, I'd polish that car up, you know, get it all shining and looking good. Wow, I have a new car! Wow, and I'd get that thing all happening. And one day I'm out there polishing the car, and my little son Toby this this parking lot down here in those days was uh, was stone. It wasn't, you know, a nice blacktop like it is now. And my little son Toby was out there. He was, you know, maybe four years old. And uh, he he was playing in the stones and stuff like that. He had a couple of stones. I don't know what happened exactly, but he got excited about something, and he wanted to come show me. And he had his little hands full of stones, and he ran toward me. I was wiping the car. He ran toward me. He tripped and fell into the side of the car and just dragged his hands down the side of the car with his little hands full of stones, right? And, uh, and I was like... Uh, I was, I was like, ah! And I looked at him, I said, go to the house! Go to the house right now! And Toby was like, ah. I said, go in the house! I wanted him to go in the house because I didn't know what I was going to do. You know what I mean? And he, go in the house right now! He, oh, he runs into the house, you know, and I'm out there wiping the scratches, you know. There, there's no way. There's a scratch forever, you know. It's just, you know, wiping the thing down. And all oh, once the Lord speaks to me, and he says to me, he says, uh, I didn't know you liked this uh, this car more than you liked Toby. I said, that's not true. I said, I don't like the car more than I like Toby. Well, he said, the way you reacted when that car got scratched, it looked to me like you liked the car more than you liked Toby. And I thought, what? And I said, okay. So I just shut my eyes right there. And I said, Lord, I give you this car, this possession. I give you this car. I surrender it to you. It was much easier to do now that it was scratched. You know what I mean? I felt more, <laughs> if it had been perfect, I think I'd have been even more of a battle. But now that God had allowed that to happen, I, was, I said, Lord, I give you this car. I, I surrender to you. See, and that's the way it is in life. You, you have to have new opportunities New temptations require fresh surrenders. You have to have new surrenders in your life. I remember my son Toby was working for uh, many years uh, on the mission field. He was in China. As a matter of fact, his family had been gone. We hadn't seen them for four years. My third grandchild was born, and I had never, never actually seen the little guy. And uh and he contacted us and said, we're gonna come home for five or six weeks during the during the uh summer, uh, go to weddings and different things like this. And uh we were just so thrilled. Came right here to Lima, came home, we saw a grandchild. We did for those five or six weeks, we just did everything we could do we just had the most fun went to parks and played and hung out and did things at the house and well anyway over over the time finally it came down to the last couple of days he was going to be here it was Sunday and they were going to be leaving on Tuesday morning and uh and I said well we'll do a little party at the house you know and so we had a party and the whole family was there Todd and his kids and Tracy and uh, her, her boyfriend and 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 they were all they were all right there and we, we just had a great time, just a great time together at that little party. But as it ended, Todd got up and he said was near the end, and he said he said hey Tob, he said uh, I have to leave on a business trip so I'm not going to be here when you leave, so this is goodbye for us. And he came over and he gang he started hugging Tob. Well, we hadn't, this was not goodbye time. This was just a party time, you know? And we, emotionally, we were not prepared. Toby starts hugging. He starts crying. Todd starts crying. I start crying. Everybody in the room is weeping now, right? We're all sobbing. they are going, wah, wah, wah. you know, we're all crying. Well, then they leave. And I look at my wife and I say, I cannot do it. She says, do what? I said, I cannot go on I cannot go on Tuesday morning and say goodbye to them i said i just can 't I, I, after this, I am just totally wiped out. I said I, there is no way if my little granddaughter little, she looked like she, she 's all blonde curls and she looked she looked kind of like Shirley Tempo. and 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 if she, if they were taking me she was the old enough she was like five or so years old I said if they're taking her away, and she looks back and goes. Save me. Because she doesn't want to go back to China. I said, I'm gonna go ballistic. You know what I mean? I'm just gonna lose it absolutely, completely. And uh, and so so I uh, I I said, okay, we'll go over, we'll go over on Monday and we'll say goodbye to them. And uh, and you know, so we did. We came over Monday evening, real positive and smiley for the kids and everything, and goodbye, and oh, we'll be back together again soon and the whole thing. Boom we end up leaving and now it's tuesday morning and and uh and they're going to leave years before my kids several of my kids ended up doing missions work and i would tell them stories missions stories one of the stories i would tell them was about a group called the moravians who in uh, i think it was 1827 or so an amazing revival they they had a a revival where they had a prayer meeting that ran for 100 years 24 hours a day for 100 years the moravians now that's revival something so amazing happened and uh they got so filled with Jesus that they just wanted whatever Jesus wanted these moravians and a couple of them came, they they were, one was a carpenter, one was a potter, and he, they both made their decision that they wanted to so preach the gospel in foreign lands, even though they didn't have the resources to do it, that they decided to sell their, themselves as slaves, and to be carried to the West Indies, where they could preach the gospel. And so they, uh, they did that, and, um, and, and it came down to that morning when the boat was getting ready to pull away from the dock. They were up on the deck saying goodbye to all the church's friends that had gathered to to say goodbye to them. And as it began to pull out into the fog, it was said that they spoke these words. They, they yelled out the answer to the question that they knew people were struggling with. Why would they do this? Why are they doing this? And they yelled out, to win for the lamb, the reward of his suffering. This is why we're doing what we do. To win for the lamb, the reward of his suffering. And they sold themselves in a one-way ticket to a foreign land to give their lives. They committed to win for the lamb, the reward of his suffering. And this was a story that we had told to the kids as as children. But of course, it had been many years before. But on that Tuesday morning when Toby was leaving, I got a text as they were getting onto the plane. And I wrote the text down. It says this, about to leave for Shanghai. Why do we do this? Oh, yeah. To win for the lamb the reward of his suffering to win for the lamb the reward of his suffering. Now, I don't know, what, you know what's happening with you, okay? I don't know what your situation is. If you're looking at the summer, if you're looking at coming back next year, if you're, those of you that are graduating, are you gonna commit to ministry? Or are you gonna get sucked into some other path? Are you gonna move in the direction that God wants you to move in, that he's spoken to you about, that he challenged you with? But I just wonder today, Is there a need for a a new commitment? A need for you to renew, to renew yourself and to say, I am going to go all the way. I'm going to finish. I've counted the cost. I'm going to give it everything I've got. It may look like there are more against me than are for me, but I am committed I'm going into this thing with all that I have. Just bow your heads and your hearts right now. Would you do that? Just bow your heads and your hearts before the Lord. Things can become very tasteless when your commitment has been cut so many times. The salt Becomes tasteless. Maybe you have felt some of that. You've wondered maybe, oh, well, this is going to be a good transition. Maybe this is time for me to get off the train. This thing never really became what I thought it was going to become. It was never really like what I thought it was going to be like. And, 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 and you're reconsidering, questioning your next steps, even your next steps with the Lord. And the Lord is speaking to you today, and he's saying, your salvation is secure, but your commitment needs to be renewed. If you're here right now, and you you realize that today has been like a little bit of a divine appointment for you, that I am not just talking to the air here somehow, that This is a description of your soul, of where you feel you're at. And you want to freshly surrender to the Lord. I want you to lift both of your hands and just stand to your feet. And by doing that, you're making, you're renewing yourself. It's not the end of what this renewal. I think God's going to talk with you about some stuff but you want to begin right now to renew yourself. The salt has become tasteless. With what will it be made salty again? It will only be made salty again with a fresh surrender, a fresh giving of yourself, a fresh saying, I'll do what you want me to do no matter how many of the enemy are that are aligned against me. I surrender myself to you. Lord, I just ask you right now by the power of your spirit. Lord, we're bringing an offering and laying it on the altar. It's an offering of our lives. But God, we cannot start the fire. We need you to send fire from heaven right now. And I just ask you, Lord, as hands are lifted up, people are standing all over this room right now. Lord, I ask you to send fire right now, to fill Fire to consume every opposing thing. Fire to burn up every every bit of impurity that's come into that salt. Fire from your presence, O Lord. Fire that will surround them as they shut their eyes tonight and lay on their bed. Fire, Lord, that will be over them to burn up everything that would hold them back from becoming all that you have called them to be. Don't let this tasteless existence become their existence, Lord. Let let something be renewed in them right now. The fire of their commitment. Let them calculate the cost, Lord. Even as I had to calculate the cost of sending my family to other nations. Let them count the cost. Even as I had to count the cost of going to the bank to get money for the school. Lord, count, let them count the cost knowing that if they do, You will come for them. You will be what they need. You will fill in the situation. We thank you for it. We thank you for it. Let's just applaud the Lord. Can we do that? Just applaud him. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. worthy. Listen, the first step... In every miracle is a commitment. Somebody makes a commitment, and it seems like everything is against you, and you make the commitment to go forward, and then things begin to flow toward you all at once. Things begin to come your way you never could have anticipated. They begin to flow and fill you and come after you. Very, very powerful things begin to come your way, but it all begins with a commitment. God bless you. It was great to be with you, everybody, again. Good to see you. Bless you.